A bounce back in equities, at least for today. A better than expected IFO read from Germany. Maybe we'll get some better than expected PMIs later on today. Let's be positive. Uh, the markets are pushing aside any recession fears for now, uh, perhaps because they have confidence that the central banks can secure that soft landing and fix inflation. But the supply side of things is still pretty messy, particularly when you involve China and Russia and quite a bit on those fronts this morning. It's Tuesday, the 24th of May, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, U.S. stocks are on the rise this morning. The S&P has bounced out of bear market territory. It's at 1.4% today. Doesn't mean it's not going to go lower, of course, uh, but there for now. The Dow has also jumped 2%. The Nasdaq at 1.6%. Big rises in Europe as well, 1.7% for the FTSE 100, 1.4% for the Eurostox 50 and for the DAX. And that rise in equities has seen a sell-off in bonds, up eight basis points for 10-year Treasury yields. Uh, two years are up three basis points, so a bit of a steepening in the curve. Ten years in France and Germany and the UK are all up seven or eight basis points today and quite a fall in the US dollar. It's down 1% on the DXY with the euro up more than 1.2%. The pound is up 0.7%. The Aussie dollar is up 0.9%. The Kiwi dollar up 1.1%. And oil today, well, it's a bit all over the place. WTI uh, was uh, a half percent down then it got about a quarter percent up. Now it's more or less where it was this time yesterday, around $110. Uh, Brent is up 0.6%, well over $113 now. And Taylor Nugent is with me today from NAB in Melbourne. So uh, not another wipeout in share markets, quite the opposite. In fact, the, the S&P, uh, even though we talk about it being uh, in bear market territory, never actually closed 20% off its peak. But we've seen that in intraday trades. Uh, but it's not dipped below that today. In fact, it's up quite a bit. And the VIX is down as well. So perhaps that suggests things are calming down a bit rather than uh, the other alternative, which is they're just taking a bit of a breather before another nip, uh, nip dip down. But who knows in these unparalleled times what is going to happen next. But look, after seven weeks of losses, we'll take it because there is certainly uh, more risk appetite today, even if it is just for today, Taylor. Yeah, I think I think that's right, Phil. So as you say, kind of equity equity markets are higher across the board, and um, kind of moving further away from that that twenty percent bear market level that um, they they dipped below briefly on on Friday before that kind of late late surge um, in the in the last hour of trading, and that kind of continued um, into. Um, into the day today, there's kind of nothing, nothing really obvious um, in terms of the news flow, and, and pretty light on in terms of data flow to to kind of justify a, a, a turnaround. Although, kind of markets kind of latching onto um, some comments by by Biden that um, um, potential easing of of tariffs on on Chinese goods could be uh, is under consideration. <laughs> well, God bless him. Joe Biden did say that that you know they're going to loosen some of the tariffs on, on on China. I think that is part of his way of thinking of you know he's going to tackle inflation. Uh, as well as getting OPEC to try and uh, push up oil production. But I'm not sure uh, it's going to make much difference because, I mean, it, it's not Chinese tariffs that are the concern, is it? It's Chinese production that we're concerned about. And surely, you know, any impact of, of those tariffs that uh, the previous president brought in, I mean, a lot of that will have been dissipated by the fact we've got a stronger U.S. dollar. You know, so actually China's exports are getting cheaper and cheaper, assuming the the U.S. dollar keeps rising. So uh, I'm surprised there's been much market reaction at all to that today. Yeah, I think looking at it purely from a, a U.S. inflation lens, probably, 
probably kind of un- underplays the, the significance to some extent, um, potentially being interpreted as kind of a bit of an indicator of a, a thawing of those trade tensions more more broadly um, in the con- in the context where kind of you've got the the World Economic Forum at the moment and officials speaking about the the risks of, of decoupling and and um, and risk to kind of reversal of some of those globalization and and world trade trends that we've seen over the last couple of decades. So I think in that context, it could be could be seen um, in in a kind of a more positive light more broadly. Of course, whether it actually leads to anything, we'll yeah. um, we'll have to well, wait and see. It was a bit of a come by our moment, wasn't it? Really, he was saying, "Well, look, we're going to work together. Isn't it going to be lovely?" And forget about that nasty man who was the president before me. But on the other side, he also said, "By the way, if you invade Taiwan, uh, we're going to stand up, stand behind them." Uh, so <laughs> I mean, you know, I, 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 sending a mixed message. Um, I don't know whether you know, net effect zero. I would have thought. Yeah, yeah. So kind of three three key headlines um, from from Biden in in Tokyo. Really, those comments around um, potential relief on on Chinese tariffs were were one of them. And just in terms of the the direct impact on on CPI, my colleague Ray Attrell has pointed to some some work that the Peterson Institute has done that says that um, Chinese export content in the US CPI is around two percent, a little bit higher in PCE, and so. Um, in terms of just kind of the direct implications on on U.S. inflation rates, it would be in the order of around a quarter of a percent. So, as you say, nothing kind of too big in the scheme of things there. Um, and then the other the other kind of news on from um, from Biden was a, an announcement of a, a new um, trade. Um, initiative um, with um, Indo-Pacific countries, so 13 Indo-Pacific countries and kind of a, a new kind of cooperation and economic framework there. Um, and then also, as as you say, responding to a, a question on whether the US would use force to depend um, Taiwan affirmatively and just kind of, you know, once again, we kind of, it almost feels like we were here late last year with with similar comments, but adding a bit of, a bit of, um, Potentially non-strategic ambiguity to the U.S.'s long-standard, long-standing strategic ambiguity policy on how it would respond um, in the. In well, that ambiguity event. is the word of the day, isn't it? Because if you look at uh, so oil's been a bit all over the place today. So if you you looked an hour or so ago, it was heading down. Now it's heading back up again. Uh, and I was wondering whether part of that was uh, the, the reason why it was heading down was perhaps people were starting to think. You know, this idea of sanctions, completely fruitless, because we had uh, the energy minister from uh, Saudi Arabia saying that, you know, they could, they, they want to work on plans on increasing the supply of oil, but it's got to be OPEC plus. So Russia's got to be involved in, their to- in those talks. So that obviously gets pretty messy. And then Reuters is reporting that China has been buying up more Russian oil. China's trying to uh, uh, ramp up its oil reserves with cheap oil from China. So it's buying 1.1 mil- million barrels a day, they reckon, compared to 750,000 before the uh, the war started. So, uh, and Royal, Russian oil export revenue is up 50% since the start of the year, 20 billion a month they're making now. So, you know, you, you wonder, are sanctions working as far as oil is concerned? And uh, are we just going to go, well, you know, we, we just can't crack that nut. And uh, maybe those, those fears about uh, oil supplies running short will dissipate if we go we're just going to have to keep on buying from russia i wonder if we're getting close to that point yeah i think i think there is some kind of you know investors kind of weighing up there how much of that russian supply will will keep coming out those um comments around opec plus still being the the preferred kind of um preferred arrangement there and not kind of excluding russia from those arrangements and then also we've seen kind of hungary continuing to 
look look like it's um, kind of firming in its in its opposition, or certainly no movement in its opposition to kind of broadening new um, EU sanctions on Russia into that oil complex as well. And, uh, just back to China, just for a second, Beijing reported more COVID cases, ninety nine on Monday, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's actually the most they've had in one day since the whole thing started, uh, and that did knock Chinese and Hong Kong equities. Uh, but uh, it also means tariffs or not, uh, there's going to be a lack of uh, of supply from China, which could obviously add to inflation. But you know. We've been talking about that for a while. Let's get closer to home. Chris Kent from the RBA yesterday, did he have anything new to say? I mean, he, he talked about the fact that they won't be selling the bonds they hold. Their approach to quantitative tightening will be just simply to uh, let b- bonds expire as, as they mature. Uh, he basically talked about one instrument at a time, you know, raising rates, not raising rates and trying to sell bonds at the same time, uh, which is the way the Fed's going. I wonder if they'll figure that out as well and think that maybe you can do too much at once. Uh, but in the meantime, I mean, was any of this new from uh, from Chris Kent yesterday? Yeah, not really new news coming out of um, Chris Kent's speech yesterday. Just kind of, yeah, as you say, an, an elaboration of the the policy and the evolution of the um, the bond buying program as it they've now stopped buying bonds and as they move into kind of letting those run off as they mature. Um, and so, yeah, not not really too much to take away from that. Um, probably the most interesting part is that um, Chris Kent really um, emphasising once again that it is that um, that cash rate target that is the the primary tool of monetary policy and. So that's going to be kind of the first, the first one to move in in response to to incoming economic data and to shift the stance of monetary policy. And that the kind of you know passive quantitative tightening is really just a, a background process in that context. Yeah, which I mean, because no one knows. I mean, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how hard the Fed do go on there on their tightening because obviously no one's quite clear on what happens because it is in effect isn't it? it's pulling money out of the the economy so what is the what is the impact of that so what about uh, the the strength in the euro today christine lagarde uh, is probably being partially responsible for that uh, she's sort of reaffirmed really hasn't she or or you know solidified anyway the thinking about what their their, their schedule for rate hikes is going to be with the ecb this year yeah interesting from um some comments from christine lagarde that came in a in a blog post um overnight and, and just kind of adding her voice to the the chorus of ECB officials recently pointing to to July as um, the appropriate time for a, a lift off in lift off in rates. So she wrote that based on the current outlook, um, the ECB is likely to be in a position to exit negative rates by the end of the third quarter. Um, so effectively, kind of penciling in something like a twenty five basis point hike in July and a follow up in September. In that context, um, kind of more broadly, the discussion kind of you know repeated the the kind of themes that we're talking about here about the difficulty in responding to um, a supply shock and, and Lagarde emphasizing uh, gradualism, optionality and, and flexibility in how the ACB would, would conduct monetary policy um, and kind of talking about moving out of negative rates really is the, the first step. Um, and then it very much depending on the what the ECB sees um, as the likelihood of inflation stable, stabilising around 2% over the medium term as to the path for further normalisation from there. Um, and interestingly that I, I saw Bloomberg was reporting as well that kind of that that guidance may have been a little bit too strong and um, um, irked some, some unnamed people on the um, uh, other ECB officials um, who kind of you know, potentially implicitly kind of closing the door somewhat to larger than 25 basis point hikes in, in the near term. And so potentially some some pushback on that within within the ECB. 
Well, there's still this debate, isn't there, going on in central banks, particularly, I mean, both sides of the ECB as to, you know, how much of this is just supply side. So, I mean, Christine Lagarde made the point, I mentioned it yesterday, that, you know, you can lift interest rates. Her point was it's not going to do anything for the price of a a loaf of bread uh, if it's all supply driven. And then Joe Stiglitz uh, was on uh, Bloomberg TV uh, from Davos this morning uh, saying it's all supply side. He said killing the economy through raising interest rates is not going to solve the inflation in any time frame either uh, and then Andrew Bailey overnight from the Bank of England talking in Vienna um, saying not saying well so, saying it was the labour market the supply of labour that there was the real issue uh, he says it's shrunk by 1% in the UK since before the election so in his case monetary policy is needed because that's going to tackle wage inflation but I mean it's very clear isn't it there's still lots of views from central bankers and you know reputable economists about exactly what you do do and the truth is nobody nobody really knows which is why the, the market is still going backwards and forwards between well are we going to fix inflation or are we going to have a recession how long is it all going to take the answer is we just don't know yeah i think yeah those those comments from um from bailey very much kind of on the on the recent theme of how how do central banks and you know especially in the uk respond to um respond to the set of circumstances that they find themselves in and kind of him making the point um that you know tightening does need to take um into account the the magnitude of the real income shock that is kind of doing some of the work on on nominal demand destruction for them um, and then, um, but did kind of say that the BOE is prepared to to raise rates again if needed. So, you know, no strong guidance there, but certainly leaving the door open to to more hikes. Well, it could all be saved, of course. The you know the the future path of hikes it may not be so great if we see lots of good data, and we're starting to see some. So, the German IFO uh, increased in May. And this came, uh, we saw those numbers overnight. This was after a surprise rise that we saw in April. Uh, You know, after that, it was expected it was going to fall in May as the impacts of the war kicked in and rising energy prices and all that. But that has not happened. German IFO has risen from 91.9 up to 93. This is three months in a row now that we've seen that, that number rise. So that's not looking too bad. Yeah. So some, some encouraging data, um, out of the, out of the IFO survey. So as you say, a, a, a surprise increase up to 93 in May from 91.9 in April. Um, and that was led by the, the current conditions component as well. So that was up to 99.5 in May from 97.3 in April. So certainly those current conditions that businesses are seeing. Um, don't don't point to kind of the the immediate prospect of a recession, or certainly don't look recessionary at the moment. Um, but then those kind of those risks are still there with the kind of forward looking components of the survey much much softer. Yeah, well, they haven't started putting interest rates up yet either, so <laughs> so maybe that'll have an impact. But look, we get PMIs today. Flash numbers for May for the UK, the Euro area, separately for Germany and France as well, for the US tonight. Uh, so uh, I think in every case they're expected uh, to go down. Um, but, you know, why if they don't? Because we have had a few upward surprises lately. It would be pretty nice if across the board we saw PMIs rising. That would certainly uh, uh, help this, uh, this positive risk-on mood uh, last at least another day. Yeah, that's right. So kind of, you know, global PMI is really the only, the only kind of, um, data release in, in the calendar of, of too much interest, um, for the, for the day ahead, um, and kind of a, a little bit of a softening, um, seen across the board. So whether kind of the, that surprise in the IFO survey yesterday can, can be repeated, um, would certainly kind of, you know, have, have the potential to kind of add to that, you know, the tentative risk on backdrop that we're seeing at the moment and whether that has any legs. Yeah, well, let's hope so. You know, I feel like I'm too negative on this podcast sometimes, so I'm going to I'm going to assume that we're going to have a great PMI day today. Uh, good to talk, Taylor. We'll catch you again soon. Thanks.
Thanks, Phil. And that's it. Tuesday morning's morning call from NAB. I'm Phil Dobby, and I'll be back again tomorrow morning for another one. See you then. Thanks for listening.